as they're kind of making their way out, I was uh, reminded of a story I wanted to share with you this morning. I'll go ahead and kind of share it before I read. I, I've heard this week that um, a survey was done that the results basically said this, the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed you are. I thought that was very interesting. And, and, and I tried to figure out, well, I wonder why that is. I think for one thing, uh, it's that the more time you spend on Facebook, the less of a life in the real world and more of a virtual life you're trying to live. But another uh, thing that, and by the way, that's for, I'm not talking about, and I'm not saying anything negative about people who use Facebook to get or send out information because I do the same thing. I'm always trying to get, get and receive information and, uh, and make sure the kids are behaving and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but the other reason, I, it just kind of hit me this past week that, uh, that people spend more time on Facebook, the more depressed they become, is you see just how many parties you didn't get invited to. You're like, wow, look at all of these people who had such a good time and they didn't invite me. And, and something that I've noticed as I've gotten older and my kids have become teenagers is that parents get invited to fewer parties once their kids become teenagers. I mean, when they're toddlers... You know, if you have a birthday party for your toddler and you invite other toddlers, it's a requirement for the parents to come to the party, is it not? As they get older now, here's what the, the, the ones that just left, the kindergarten through fourth grade will tell you. They want all the parents to come because they know that they will spend some money on the way to the party buying them a gift. They'll bring the gift. Now, once they become teenagers, like my kids, it's just kind of, the girls especially, we're going to do a spend-the-night party, drop us off, and we don't want any parents hanging out other than the host parents, and we want them to leave us alone. Uh, the guys, now teenage guys, they don't even want to have a party. Just let them go fishing, go to a ball game or something together, and they're cool with that. But, uh, but, but the kids, man, bring a party and bring gifts. And then those who host the party also have to give a gift back, you know, so it's not necessarily like a, a financial advantage to say, let's, let's offer a party so that people will give our kids gifts. I mean, that, the kids seldom understand that mom and dad spend more on the party than what the kids get for the gift anyway. But can you imagine being invited to a party where the host says, I've got a very special gift for everyone who shows up? Well, that's the kind of party I want to talk about this morning. So I want to ask you to find Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at what we've been invited to be a part of, and the host has a gift for every one of us. Yes, let's stand as we look at Romans chapter 12. This is the parenthetical statement that I skipped over last week that I said I would come back to this week because I felt like these verses, 6, 7, and 8, deserved uh, the, the full time of the message for one Sunday. And so let's go and catch this in context where he was talking about unity through humility and love in the body of Christ. We come to verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, it says in the King James and New King James, if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it to 
for ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we are so grateful that you have invited us to be a part of what you're doing, and you have a a special gift for each one of us that we might use in our celebration of who you are and making you known. Lord, I pray now that you would help us to so use it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus, the, the great host, and I love the video that we saw just a moment ago that tells us that, that he's got a story and, and he sends out an invitation. And verses 1 and 2 in Romans 12 really remind us that, that it, it is all about us coming to him by way of invitation. We've all been invited to the party in so many different ways. See, we often get it wrong in our theology and in our approach to understanding what it is that we're a part of in this thing called the church. We often hear phrases like, and even I have used these phrases, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to include God in on what I'm doing. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. It's almost as if we're saying, you know, I've been so blessed. Things things are so wonderful to me. I bet God would love to get in on who I am. I bet God would love to be a part. Bless his heart. He's probably probably bored and sad and he's, he's lonely. Let me just be sure I include God in my life. And that's sort of the the westernized thinking of how we do Christianity. Let me live my life, and if I want to be a religious person or a spiritual person or even a Christian person, I'll invite God to be a part of it. And that's really just kind of backwards from the biblical gospel story where God is at work, where God has had a plan from beginning to end, and God is calling out to you and I, not saying, will you please open up your heart's door and let me in. He's calling out to you and I, you come be immersed in who I am and come be a part of what I'm doing. He invites us. He says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come and see what I'm doing. He says, come and dine in the scriptures. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he says, come and drink freely of the water of life. The invitation in Scripture is never our invitation for God to come be a part of what we're doing. It's always an invitation for us to enter into him and to come be a part of what God is doing. So he has invited us to the party. He has invited us to merge into the stream of what he is doing and to join his story. I'm looking forward to the gospel project being taught Uh, in our life groups, because it will reveal how you do have a story, but your story is to be found in the context of his story and what he is doing. And so when we see this context, there's, in Romans 12, as we looked at last week, a unified effort through humility and through love, through a servant's heart, we begin to see that in that context we can begin to unwrap a spiritual gift. It's in, it's in that context. It's in that context of being invited to see what God is doing that he says, I want you to help. I want to help you enjoy it to the fullest. I want you to get in on my best for your life. But 
you're going to need something in the process. And not only salvation by grace through faith, but gifts to employ in that process. Now, let me go ahead and say this right up front, just in case you're doubting that you were included. If you are a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, every one of you has a spiritual gift, at least one. Now, according to the grace and sovereignty of God, there are differing gifts, and some of you have more than one. Some of you have different gifts that are used in a variety of ways, but every one of you have at least one spiritual gift. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read about the gifts of, of ministry leadership in the church. We also see an overlapping uh, picture of the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter refers to the fact that everybody has a spiritual gift. Well, according to Romans chapter 12, this particular context where Paul is talking to the church at Rome about the body of Christ and how important it is to be a part of that body, what is it that Paul wanted these first century believers to understand about their gifts? Well, if we look at it verse by verse, word by word here, I think what Paul is saying, first of all, is I want you to know that your spiritual gifts are undeserved. (laughs) Your spiritual gifts are undeserved. And so verse 6 says, having then gifts, we need to understand what that word gift is. The very meaning of the word gift, it's in the Greek, it's charismata. We get our word charismatic from this word. It, it begins, it's a compound word. It begins with the word charis or grace. It is speaking here of the grace gifts. By grace, we mean unmerited favor, bestowed not because we deserved it, but because God is loving and gracious in who he is, and he has sovereignly said, I'm going to give you a gift. And so we can't go around strutting because we have a particular gift or particular talent that God has blessed us with. Now, can those gifts be sharpened? Absolutely. But they're given to us simply because... We've been invited to the party, and we've responded to the invitation by his grace. The church at Corinth, when Paul is writing the letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he deals with the fact that they did not use their gifts with great humility. And so he's confronting the abuse of their gifts, and he reminds them that the spiritual gifts are sovereignly bestowed. And basically, he's telling the Corinthian church, don't think you're all that special just because you have these spiritual gifts. God gave you those gifts, and they were not even deserved. You didn't deserve that. As a matter of fact, the church at Corinth was one of the most carnal groups of Christians. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but Paul was confronting them because they didn't understand what the Holy Spirit's work was all about. They didn't understand yet. They had not grown in holiness. Their character didn't always match up to what they believed. And so he's writing that first letter to the church at Corinth to straighten a lot of that out. They didn't understand what it meant to be spiritual, but yet they still were exercising the spiritual gifts. If there was anyone in Scripture that had a reason to strut with their gift, it would have been the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was gifted in in a variety of ways. He had a, a variety of experiences throughout his life. And yet he realized that often his weaknesses were his strengths and his strengths were his weaknesses. 
And even in his preaching, which was obviously anointed of God, one of the greatest preachers and certainly greatest missionary the world had ever known, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 says this about his gift and his calling. He says, to me, less than the least of the saints. See the humility there? To me, less than the least of the saints, this grace was given. It's not deserved. He said, this grace was given that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What he was saying is not that, am I not wonderful for what I'm doing here with the gospel's sake? No, what Paul was saying is, I can't even believe God lets me do this. And that's the approach we should have with our spiritual gifts. Man, I can't even imagine that God would allow me to do this, but he does. But the spiritual gifts are undeserved, and when we understand that, we'll see what we saw last week with the broader context of this passage. There will be a certain love and humility with which we exercise the spiritual gifts. It's the attitude that surrounds, not that of pride nor of jealousy, but that I'm just amazed that God allows me to do what I do. Many of you have heard me share the story before where there was a frog that was in a pond and he was watching the geese fly over and and he always thought it would be wonderful he could fly. He was not gifted in that way. He was not equipped that way, but he wanted to fly so desperately bad that when two Canadian geese landed right there in the pond, he said, listen, I've got an idea. You know frogs could talk, did you? He said, listen, I've got an idea. And he said, if you strong, beautiful geese would fly beside each other, one with a stick in your mouth that goes to the other one, and this same stick is in the mouth of the other, if you'll fly with that stick in your beaks there and just clamp down and and I will bite in the middle. And you fly through the air, holding onto the stick. And I'm holding on the stick. Then I'll be flying with you. And, and so they tried it. They took off. These two geese were flying through the air. A stick attached from one side to the other. And this frog was biting down on the stick in the middle, flying right along with them. And they flew over this farm. And the frog heard the farmer say, That is amazing. There is a frog flying through the air with those two geese. I wonder whose idea that was. And the frog went, mine. <laughs> That's what happens to us when we, when we come up with an idea. Or we feel like, man, I've got a gift. Everybody look at me. And we begin to say, look at me. Then we'll end up falling and not using the gift for what God intended us to use the gift for. And so we don't want to be motivated by jealousy or I wish I could do that or I wish I could do that. But we say, God... What have you humbly asked? What are you asking me to humbly do for you? And so we're to do and use our gifts as those things which are undeserved with gratitude and humility. Secondly, I want you to see that spiritual gifts, Paul would have them know spiritual gifts are to be used. They are undeserved, and so we receive them with humility, but spiritual gifts are to be used. Now that sounds like a no brainer. But the King James Version and the New King James Version of the Bible does a little bit of interpretive work for us. And in all translation, there is some interpretation. And so when you see a passage in your Bible that is in italics or sometimes in parentheses, always look for the notes because often what it is saying is in the original Greek, that phrase wasn't there. And so the interpretive work that the, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, the interpretive work that they do for us that all translations perhaps do not have, trying to be as true to the text as they possibly can, 
is where he says that he has given us the grace gifts, comma, let us use them. You won't find that in every translation. Why? It's because he's interpreting, the, or the, the translators here are interpreting the sense of the verbs that are used later. These spiritual gifts are listed in some verb forms to remind us that they are requiring action. We're to use the gifts God has given us. Often, humility will cause us to lapse into passivity. You say, well, listen, I don't want to be all proud about my gift. Pastor Robbie said that we're supposed to receive them with gratitude, and we're supposed to be humble about it. And if I'm going to be humble, then I'm going to be passive, and I'm not going to use my spiritual gift lest I be caught strutting my stuff. So he says, let us use the gift. Passivity is not the same as humility. Think about the purposes of your gift. According to 1 Corinthians 10.31, everything that we do, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. Everything we do, we're to give God glory. According to Ephesians 4.12, the ministry leaderships were, gifts were given for the edification of the body of Christ. In Colossians 3.23, we're to do it uh, everything for, for the maturity and fulfillment, everything with all of our heart as unto the Lord, not unto men. So we're doing it for the glory of God. There's a fulfillment that comes from it from serving God. And then we're to, to reach people with the gospel as part of our mission. So if we become passive and we don't discover and actually use our spiritual gift, what happens? What happens if we're getting ready to start a new church year and you say, I'm just going to kind of take a year off. I'm not going to serve in a particular place. I'm not going to use my gift. I'm not going to discover and use my gift in the body of Christ. What happens? Well, that means in your life, God is not being glorified. The church is not being edified. See, that's, that's what we often, when, when we're not using our gift, maybe if we even kind of slip through the cracks and we're just, we're not as active in body life in the church. I'm not talking about just going to church. We're, we're to be active in corporate worship. But I'm talking about if we just get inactive in body life, not finding our place of service in the church, what we'll often ask, you know, maybe we haven't been there in a few weeks, we'll often did I miss anything? And sometimes as leaders, those of us who are trying to get you to be a part of what God's doing, we'll do the same thing. We'll, we'll say, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. But that's still a self-centered focus. See, the question is not, what did you miss? The question is, who missed out on benefiting? Who missed out on being edified by your using your spiritual gift? If you're not using your spiritual gift, somebody is not being edified to the extent that they should be edified. The word edify means to build up. And so somebody else is not being built up in the faith if you're being passive with your spiritual gift. And so God's not being glorified. The body's not being edified as it should be and as it could be. And you're not growing in maturity and living a life of fulfillment. There are, there are so many that are part of the body of Christ that are living unfulfilled lives and they're looking for a blessing here and a blessing there. Maybe if I go here, maybe if I'm part of that, maybe if I listen to this, maybe if I try that, then I will receive a blessing from God. But... God says your focus should be on being a blessing to others, being encouragement to others. And as you're using your spiritual gift, operating in the gift, then you're building up others and you're finding fulfillment in that. 
then life feels more complete and fulfilling because you're getting in on what God has for you. And so when it comes to this, this thing of spiritual gifts, you want to use them. What, what gets you fired up? What, what gets you passionate about serving God? Robert uh, Lewis, when he does the, the great adventure in his, in his men's fraternity Bible study, he asked a question. He played football for uh, uh, the University of Arkansas, and he played, for, uh, he played high school football, obviously, before that. And he said, he, he challenges the men. He says, ask yourself this question. What gives you that Friday night lights feeling? What gets your juices flowing? What gets you passionate about serving God? Discover that and use that gift. There are a lot of folks that aren't passionate in their worship. They're not passionate in their devotion. They've lost their zeal for being a witness simply because they're not operating in their area of giftedness. It's not drudgery for me to preach and teach the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I'm usually, whether I'm invited to do so or not, chomping at the bit for an opportunity to preach and teach the Word of God. It's not a burden for somebody to, came up, to, to come up to me and say, will you uh, bring the message at this wedding or at this funeral or at this revival service or teach this class? That's not a burden to me. That's a joy to me. Why? Because it's in those moments that God's giving me the opportunity to use my spiritual gift. That sort of thing lights my passion and helps me to maintain my zeal for the Lord. There are, by the way, acts of obedience that may not always fire us up. Showing mercy and forgiveness is required whether or not we have the gift. Some have the gift, but if we don't have the gift of mercy, we're still to show mercy. We may not have the gift of evangelism, but we're still called to be a witness. How many people have come to you and said, you know what, I've got the spiritual gift of watching the nursery. <laughs> but there are still needs for people to keep the nursery. And so it's, don't use your spiritual gift as an excuse to say no to everything else. But if you want to find your greatest fulfillment, use your gift. And when you're using your gift, it will energize everything else that you do. And using that gift doesn't mean that you're limited to certain ministry teams or functions in the church. It just tells you how you use that gift on the ministry team. Because there are ministry teams that need people with different gifts so that they will function as a team. And I will explain that a little more as we get to the third point. But using your gift energizes all else that you do because you get fired up about the life that you have and the gift that you're using in Christ. So let me answer, or, or move to the third point in answering this question, and we'll spend the remainder of our time here. Spiritual gifts should be understood. Spiritual gifts should be understood. So what Paul does here is he begins to give a list of examples when it comes to spiritual gifts. And, and in fact, let, let's be sure of this. No list in the Bible is an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts. What I mean by that is you may or you may not find your spiritual gift right here. But how many of you have a spiritual gift? By the way, raise your hand. All right. 
Some of you didn't hear what I said to begin with. Everybody that's a child of God has a spiritual gift. Now, some of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, Pastor, I still don't know what it is. Let's not overcomplicate it. Every list in the Bible that mentions spiritual gifts varies from the others. What that tells us is there is no exhaustive list. So it's possible that there are gifts, spiritual gifts that aren't even mentioned in the Bible, that people have received spiritual gifts. And so, so let's just kind of look at some of the examples. Now, I could go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, 10, and 11. Here's what Peter does. He says, basically, there are two kinds of gifts. There are the speaking gifts and the serving gifts, or the speaking gifts and the non-speaking gifts. And what that means is that there are people, if we look at it in the 21st century, there are people that are very comfortable being up in front of other people, and whether it's speaking or singing, you're kind of cool with using words in front of a crowd, a small crowd or a large crowd, you're kind of cool with that, and, and you'll use those gifts. There are others of you that would say, I want to give my heart and everything I've got to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll use my gifts to serve him, but pastor, please don't ever put me up in front of a crowd. Anybody like that? Yeah, we, we, there are some of us that are like, man, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to go to work, but that's not my gift, don't put me in front of a crowd. And that's okay. Peter says there's speaking and non-speaking. There's speaking and, and, and serve, service gifts. And so he just gives broad categories. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there's the ministry leadership in the church where he talks about God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, and then he speaks of the pastor-teacher that uh, the New Testament church will have. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 overlaps much with Romans 12. Paul names particular gifts in Romans 12, and he comes back and deals with it in, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 12 that he deals with also in 1 Corinthians 14. He names some of the gifts that they were using and abusing with pride. Remember, we said the gifts last week are not evidence of the Spirit-filled life. Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ in you and in me, that's evidence of the Spirit-filled life. We can use gifts or appear to use gifts and not even be a child of God. But when we are Spirit-filled, then we're out of that Spirit-filled life to use these gifts, and so he corrects some of their theology in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and the gifts, some of them overlap with the ones we read here in Romans chapter 12. So there seem to be different types of gifts. In other words, that's what I'm saying here. There seem to be different types of gifts. There are those gifts that are ministry leadership type gifts. There are certain gifts that appear to be manifestational gifts that come on people for a a particular time, a particular reason, a particular occasion, but people don't necessarily always operate in those manifestations. For instance, you take the gift of healing. Now, I believe that there are gifts of healing. There are some folks that because God has equipped them to be a, and they're gifted in this area, a nurse or a doctor or something like that, they are constantly walking in that state of being ready to be used of God for healing purposes. But there is also miraculous healing that still takes place today, and God is sovereign over when he bestows that gift. In other words, I have a hard time believing uh, not just according to my observations, but, ac- but according to Scripture and what I understand about the sovereignty of, and the power of God, I have a hard time believing that the gift of healing totally ceased. I believe God still heals today. Having said that, I also have a hard time believing that there are certain 
faith healers that all they have to do is touch you and you're going to be healed every time. Because if that were the case, I believe they would spend all of their time at the hospitals just sending everybody home, healing everybody and saving us a lot of money. And nobody would ever die, by the way. But it's a point when a man wants to die, the body breaks down. But God still heals. And the truth of the matter is, when we apply Scripture, where in James chapter 5 it tells us to anoint and, and lay hands on somebody and to pray for one another, God can still, through that, supernaturally bring physical, mental, spiritual, emotional healing but it's a sovereign manifestation of God, and it could be that a TV preacher prayed for you. could be that a pastor prayed for you, but it could be that a group of kindergartners that have just came to an understanding of the gospel and believed it laid their hands on you and prayed for you because it's a manifestation of God. There are certain manifestational gifts, and the purpose of the manifestation is always for God's glory, not for man's glory, not for somebody to to strut saying, well, I'm the faith healer in the crowd. We don't know why God sovereignly chooses to heal in some situations and not heal in other situations, but when it happens, it's a miracle and it's a gift from him. There are other manifestational gifts that I don't believe necessarily cease. Some people refer to that which is a cessationalist. Well, the spiritual gifts all ceased when we had the completed word, when the apostolic age ended. I don't think that's what he's teaching the church here at Rome. Anything like that would ever take place. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's having to deal with the abuse of the gift of tongues. Now, do I believe that there is a gift of tongues? Absolutely. The Bible talks about a gift from tongues. Does the situation that accommodated the gift in the New Testament always exist today? Not exactly. Do I believe that this morning, for everyone to hear the gospel in their own language, that someone need to speak in various tongues? Probably not. Most of you needed to hear a message in the English language this morning. So was the gift necessary this morning, for, was there a gift of tongues necessary for everybody to hear the gospel in their own language? Well, of course not. Now, what about the gift of tongues as it, it was a, a sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon first the Jews and then the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. Well, now we understand, as Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are all baptized by the Holy Spirit. So we don't need that evidence that the Spirit has come upon the church, nor do we need tongues to give the authority that this message is coming supernaturally from God. Because the New Testament had not been completed, something miraculous took place, to to reinforce the authority of the apostles in the context. This word was from God, and somebody was given a translation to the word. And so by the time you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, they had forgotten those purposes, and the church was being rebuked because it was just a chaotic mess. And Paul was saying, folks are coming into your church, and they're not hearing words in their own language. They're hearing a lot of chaos, and it's all confusing, and it's not accomplishing anything. As a matter of fact, ladies, you might be interested to know there are some wonderful passages that talk about the meek and quiet spirit uh, that, that women should have. But he never tells, Paul never writes and tells the women to be completely silent until he deals with that issue of tongues. Because sometimes it became motivated not by the Holy Spirit, but by the emotion of the moment. And so he tells the ladies in 1 Corinthians 14, all right, zip it, that's enough, no more. You'll have to go back and read it for yourself, but that's the language in the Greek that he's using with that. So, do I believe the gifts ceased? No. Do I believe the 
purpose of some of the gifts at different times, different manifestations are left up to the sovereign work of God, yes, that changes. And again, not tongues nor any other spiritual gift is evidence of the Spirit-filled life. It always goes back to the fruit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So what are the examples that he gives here? Just briefly, let's look at some of the examples here. And again, don't try to necessarily force yourself to fit into one of these, but it could be that the Spirit bears witness with your spirit as I'm preaching this, or a brother or sister in Christ sitting around you says, that's you, you've got that gift, then you want to listen to what God is saying. He, he mentions ministry. Last week I said the word diakonia, the word we get our word deacon from, is mentioned here in verse um, well, let me go back to verse 6. Let me cover the first two in, in verse 6. Uh, he first mentions um, the word prophecy, to foretell or foretell, usually concerning consequences or actions of a person or a group. Someone who is able to speak the truth and address a particular people in a particular situation, not only saying, here's what you're doing that's wrong, but here's what's going to happen as a consequence if you don't turn. There have been prophets to churches and prophets to nations, even prophets to this nation today that are saying, America, if you do not turn, here's the consequences. And so that's a gift that they have the ability to see that and discern that. Ministry, as I mentioned a second ago, diakonia, not just the position of a deacon in a church, but someone gifted to get things done behind the scenes. A person with this gift is going to be the first one that when you need somebody to stack chairs or sweep a floor or clean tables, they're just going to be serving moving sound equipment, whatever, however they can help. They just want to roll up their sleeves and serve. Then he mentions teaching here, the ability to explain biblical precepts and principles in a way that engages the learner. There are some of you that have that gift, and I remember one particular man in our church that came to me and he said, I just don't think I'm a gifted teacher, but I happen to know that those who listen to him speak will say, man, he just, he just explains the Bible in ways that you can understand it. It doesn't have to be with profound wisdom. Wisdom can be another area of giftedness. Verse 8, exhortation. That's that word, again, that I talked about before, paracleto. We get our word paraclete, like that spotter in the weight room who's not only helping you get the weight off your chest, but encouraging you to push it up yourself. Some of you are just wonderful exhorters. You keep everybody else motivated if... um, If Pastor Ben is trying to get a bunch of teenagers to come to some kind of youth activity, there are certain kids that he can tell them, help me out, and when they begin to announce that youth activity, more people want to be a part of it because they're just motivators. Yeah, we need to do this. We need to get involved. So if you've got that gift of exhortation, then you want to be exhorting others. And then he mentions giving and says, do so with generosity or liberality here. You usually do not even know who the people are that have this gift because they're typically so humble and quiet about it. They don't give to be seen. If they give to be seen, that's not the spiritual gift. They're the ones who just, they are a channel of God's blessings to the church, for the kingdom, and to other individuals. And so they give, and he says, do so with liberality. And then leadership. There are those with administration-type gifts. You can help organize and influence others as a team to move in a particular direction. And they want to follow you. Sometimes, you know, when we're looking at a particular ministry team, or if I'm talking with the ministry placement team, you know, we could say, well, this type of ministry needs a lot of people with a servant's heart because they need to be serving. But I'm always careful to say, well, we need somebody in there 
with a leadership gift that will be able to tell them this is what we need to do, when we need to do it, and here's the deadline for getting it done. So you need a variety of gifts on various ministry teams. That person with, he says, lead with diligence. In other words, that person who's saying, I'm going to hang with it. We're going to stay in there. We're going to get the job done. The gift of mercy. So let them do so with cheerfulness. It's interesting that he says, you know, show mercy. Now, a person with the gift of mercy is that person who is very forgiving, can cry with anybody and provide counsel and, and just say, I'm right there. I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to love you through this. But he says, do so with cheerfulness. See what happens. This person can cry with a brokenhearted, can cry with the victim and the victimizer in different situations. They can be a friend and a listener. But if a person with a gift of mercy is not careful, if they don't do so with cheerfulness, a person with a gift of mercy can just kind of join every pity party. Say, man, I'm going to cry with them. I'm going to cry with them. Let's have a pity party here and a pity party there. And he goes, no, 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 wait a minute. You bring joy to the situation. Help them to see the bright side of the situation. Showing mercy, show understanding, listen, and then move them to serve the Lord and overcome this particular season they're going through. There are other motivational gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we could get into, like gifts of faith, the supernatural ability to believe God for the impossible, wisdom, keen insight, and the ability to offer counsel that is biblical and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be saying, I think I've got the wisdom. Uh, I think I've got the wisdom gift. I think I've, I've got that gift of wisdom. If you're always being asked for wisdom, then you probably have the gift. If, if everybody's coming to you and they need spiritual insight, they need advice from you, they're asking you for wisdom, there's a good chance you have the gift. If they're not asking for it and you're just, you're like, I'm, I'm the kind of person that always wants to give my two cents worth. I always want to tell people what I think or what I feel about the situation. Nobody's ever asking me, but I believe I've got the gift. Listen, if nobody's ever asking you, but you're still always wanting to offer the advice, it doesn't mean you have the gift of wisdom. It just means you're highly opinionated. See, a person with the gift of wisdom, people will come to them and say, I need your advice, I need your insight, I need your help on this situation. We can assume from the Old Testament that there were New Testament gifts being operated like gifts of worship, those who are able to lead others, even with musical gifts. There's a difference between being gifted, I think, and being talented. You can have a talent that's not necessarily anointed that might impress people, but when it's a gift, when the anointing of God is on it, like this morning, it leads people to Jesus. It leads people into the presence of Almighty God. And so discover your spiritual gift understand it, and use it. And be careful about two extremes, and that is not getting involved in areas outside your giftedness as an excuse to disobey God. In other words, well, I don't have the gift of mercy, so I'm not going to show mercy. Well, the Bible tells me to show mercy. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm not going to be a witness. No, the Bible tells me I should witness. I don't have the gift of faith. I can't see God, so I'm just going to worry all the time. No, the Bible tells me not to worry. Be anxious for nothing. Prayer and faith overcome. But the other extreme is trying to always operate outside your gift. We want to be careful not to do that as well. I didn't stand up this morning and try to lead you musically in worship because you would have been so distracted 
by my lack of giftedness, you wouldn't have been able to focus on God. So find out what it is that gives you passion. It might be the word shape. We'll post something on our website or on Facebook, as long as you don't get too depressed looking for it. We'll send you to some places where you can do a study of your motivational gifts. But right now, we'll close with this, the word shape, S-H-A-P-E. If you're trying to find out what your spiritual gift is or, or where you should be serving, S stands for that, the spiritual gift. What is your spiritual gift? H, um, what, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do in life? A, what are your abilities? When you ask somebody else, hey, what am I good at? What do they tell you that you're good at? P, personality. What's your personality? Man, if you get grouchy every single time you get around teenagers, then don't go on youth trips, please. You'll ruin it for the ones who do. So what's your personality? And then E, what are your experiences? You know, some of the greatest counselors that offer wisdom and mercy are people who have gone through difficult seasons of life themselves, and they're there to help others going through the same thing. So what shape are you in? Spiritual gift, hobby, ability, personality, experience. Operate inside of that gift. Talk to your spouse. Talk to those that have worked around you at church and just ask the question, what do you see me gifted at? Spend time on your knees in prayer and then just get busy serving. Because as you get busy serving, you'll discover, wow, God just really seems to be all over it when I'm doing this. And it seems to be really awkward when I'm doing that. Get busy serving and see what happens. Would you bow your heads with me?